Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's edition of Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS. Dear JCPS is a district-focused stakeholder advocacy group that demands accountability and transparency from JCPS through a lens of equity. Save Our Schools Kentucky is a statewide advocacy group that seeks to expose and prevent attempts to privatize our public schools, including charter schools and everything else from the ALEC playbook. Hello and welcome to the September 30th, 2021 episode of Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS. I'm your host, Gay Adelman. Today's program, I'm going to play for you excerpts from the September 14th JCPS board meeting, which took place a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to play the superintendent's report, as well as some of the speakers who spoke from the floor regarding uh, the agenda and non-agenda items. The next JCPS board meeting is this coming Tuesday, October 5th. And among other things on the board's agenda is the district's legislative agenda. In in other words, this is the list of items that the district plans to address and stand for when it comes to the 2022 Kentucky General Assembly, which starts in January. So without further ado, we will start with the superintendent's update. At this time, it is my honor to introduce our superintendent for the superintendent's report, Dr. Marty Polio. Thank you, Chair Porter and board members. I bring you the superintendent report for Tuesday, September 14th. And I have three main things I wanted to bring to you in the superintendent report tonight. First of all, I know I lead with this every meeting in my superintendent report, or we talk about it in one way or another, but I have to start the meeting by thanking the entire JCPS family and educators for their work over the past six weeks. Without a doubt, these six weeks have been the most difficult and challenging of any six week I can remember in 25 years. Um, and as I've said here before, it's challenging enough to lead a school or teach in a classroom on a September 14th in a regular year. But layering that on top, the challenge that the school and the district is facing daily as a result of the pandemic makes it even that much more difficult. But every single day, our district teachers, educators, classified staff, leaders, all of our employees are working so hard to provide safe and effective instruction for students. And I continue to be inspired by the work. Um, people are just stepping up to do whatever they need to do. I try to spend time in schools on a regular basis to find out and talk to principals about how we can better support school. Some items we'll report on this evening, we'll provide some assistance from schools but it's important to note how hard everyone is working to meet the needs of our kids. I also, though, want to take this opportunity to thank this board for the continuity of employment stipend of $5,000 that was approved in June. It's a critical step and a very important step in retaining our current employees. They have worked so hard and they earn this. So the first payment of that stipend occurs this Friday where all full-time employees will receive $2,500. And I believe it's a good time to do that. And there is little doubt that our employees deserve this stipend at this time. So I would like to thank our board uh, for making that a reality back in June. We will be covering a great deal tonight, but I also wanna highlight an important part of Senate Bill 1, and that's around retired teachers. So there are some parts of the bill that are not helpful. There is no doubt about that. But one particular aspect that's a big change for JCPS and I've been advocating for this for several months. As a result of the passage of Senate Bill 1, 
and the signature of the government, excuse me, governor, we can now increase our critical shortage of hiring in, um, in any role group where we have a shortage. And we can hire retired staff up to 10% of that particular role, role group. So we can now hire approximately 650 retired teachers full-time that don't have to give up their pension or work on a limited daily threshold. So we're gonna work very hard to get this out to JCPS retirees to fill some of our vacancies and better support our schools. And I really wanna paint a picture of what that means to the district and to the retiree. So obviously we get an experienced certified teacher in a classroom to support students, to be in front of students and to fill vacancies. So for a retired teacher, I think it's important we look at the scenario and being very candid about this, this is really the power of this part of Senate Bill 1. If a retired teacher worked 30 years in JCPS with a rank one, the teacher's pension is approximately $64,000 a year. We can now then hire that teacher back full-time at the salary they left JCPS. So that teacher could make approximately $84,000 on top of the $64,000 pension. So you can see that that is um, an excellent income for a teacher to come back and work for us for a year. So we're really encouraging retired teachers, come back to us, help us out, especially this year. That part does end on January 15th by statute, but we will obviously be working with legislators that they renew that. We will have a campaign, communication campaign strategy shortly to encourage retirees to return for this. But I'll say once again, we can hire up to 650 retired teachers. JCPS is filling vacancies and KTRS is an out of penny. So I think that's a very important part of Senate Bill 1 for us. And finally tonight, I would like to highlight on tonight's agenda, you are approving this, the acceptance of the Wallace Foundation grant for JCPS. JCPS had this grant in the early 2000s for leadership development programs. I was actually a product of the Wallace grant program and I did a principal internship in 2006, but we shortly lost the Wallace grant after that time. So we, uh, since that time, I think the district has truly struggled to prepare leaders for the principal role and many other leadership opportunities. Research is clear about the impact of preparing leaders for their role and the impact on student achievement. So last year, we made the determination to reapply for the Wallace Foundation Equity Centered Pipeline Initiative Grant about 48 districts across the United States applied for that, and only eight were selected. One of those was JCPS. So this grant will be critical in assisting us in creating an equity-centered leadership principal development pipeline. And we do have partners in this work. So JCPS and partners in this grant, University of Louisville, Spalding University, and the Kentucky Department of Education, together we will all receive $1.7 million this year and we have the opportunity to renew that grant for the next four years. One of the main reasons, and I wanna reiterate this, one of the main reasons that the Wallace Foundation singled out JCPS was our commitment to racial equity. And that's why we've got this get grant and it will be critical in preparing our future leaders in JCPS. A lot more to come on that, but it is exciting to know that we're back with the Wallace Foundation. Thank you, Chair Porter. Thank you very much, Dr. Polio. Next, we're going to have our, our speakers this evening. Our next speaker is Gay Adelman. 
Uh, it is my understanding that you're still going to hear from another speaker from one of the organizations called Let Them Learn. Um, her name is Beanie Geohogan, Geohagen, and I know you all are familiar with the letters that she has sent to the board, um, but they cite misinformation and make demands on our district uh, that do not uh, reflect the, the wishes and, and desires of the majority of our district. And so we support our board in the decisions that they're making and thank you for continuing to push back on uh, individuals like those. But in particular, I bring her up because I did an open records request and uh, I have copies of many of the emails that she sent along with some of the other groups that she represents. And I know that they are accessible uh, for those, but I'm, I'm gonna submit them tonight. So they'll be part of tonight's board meeting notes as well, so that it makes it easier for others to see the types of misinformation uh, that you're having to deal with. And I also just wanna point out that, have you ever noticed that the people that are up here uh, speaking against racial equity and speaking anti-mask, anti-this, anti-that uh, are generally white people. Uh, and so we're shutting out the voices of our, of our families of color and making demands that only seem to benefit white people. And so uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion are important concepts that need to continue to be focused on in JCPS. And as you know, uh, we have a, a battle ahead of us in the general session uh, assembly in 2022 as well. Uh, we're, we're allowing our discomfort over the inconvenience of having to wear a mask uh, to be put ahead of black, brown, and disabled lives. This is about lives. And whether our board recognizes it or not, I know you didn't sign up to come up here and make life or, or death decisions, but that's the situation you find yourself in now. And we need to build that fence. We need to stand up and push back. Um, we've lost several JCPS educators and students to COVID, uh, including a mental health counselor recently a football coach and attendance clerk and lots of students. And our, let's, get it, let's get it straight. Our schools have not been safe for black, brown and disabled students since before the pandemic. We've been up here telling you what our schools need and the supports that they need. And these folks have shown up out of nowhere. They've not tried to be part of the solution and they're pushing their demands and cutting in line essentially in front of the affected community members that have been working for decades to find solutions. So I wanna just leave with this poem. First, they came for socialists. I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for trade unionists. I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is Chuck Eddy. Uh, Dr. Polio and the board, I wanna thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. I greatly appreciate you passing the mask mandate on July 28th. I also appreciate that I come here today and you all are masked. It seems you have more common sense than many of the legislators I saw when I attended the special session last week. I'm also continually astounded at the misinformation I hear presented both in the world at large and here today. We have lost at least 22 educators statewide to COVID-19. We have lost four children under 19 to COVID-19. For the past 10 days, children under 19 have been over 25% of the new cases. On today's report, where we had 4,030 new cases, we had 11, excuse me, uh, we had 1,154 children under 19. Um, 
Right now in the hospitals, we have 2,514 people, 666 on the ICU, 428 on vent. That's adults and children. I don't have a breakdown. Our percentage, positivity percentage is still 13.45%. It's gone between 13 and low 14s for the past 10 days. We're consistently dealing with this. Um, I really appreciate the fact that you all are following the masking recommendations of the CDC and the American Association of Pediatrics. I was interested to hear someone just quoted the American Association of uh, Pediatrics information. They recommend masking for everyone in schools. I appreciate that somebody has quoted information from the CDC as well. They recommend masking in all schools. I just wanna tell you that I support what you're doing. I appreciate the fact you passed the mask mandate and are continuing to enforce it, including in this meeting. Thank you very much, God bless you. Thank you very much for being here this evening. Our last action item is the acceptance of a report on the new way forward approval of a revised JCPS COVID-19 school operations plan, employee requirements for vaccination, diagnostic testing, and authorization of the superintendent to assign students to remote instruction. Dr. Polio. Thank you, Chair Porter and board members. We are gonna use our session of New Way Forward today to really give you a significant overview of what's happened since our last meeting, which we have had a lot of changes outside of our organization, whether that be the General Assembly in Frankfurt or uh, some uh, OSHA requirements coming from the federal government. And I think we will continue to get more of these changes as we go. So. We are going to cover what happened in Senate Bill 1 and ask for some action items, some recommendations to you uh, to help us um, obviously move forward. So as you know, we always put our guiding principles first and foremost as we do this. Um, I'll reiterate again, uh, the daily struggle that, that is uh, in our schools right now, not only to run and operate schools and provide effective instruction, but to cover classes, provide testing, contact tracing and quarantining, uh, social distancing, all of those things are happening with a shortage of employees like many other folks in uh, education and in businesses that's occurring right now. So uh, once again, I just, um, I'm in awe of our leaders as they continue to do this every single day. So let's go through a little bit of what Senate Bill 1 um, passed late last week, signed by the governor. The governor did line item veto one thing, but the um, um, General Assembly um, gave uh, the override to that. So it became law, I believe on uh, Thursday evening will actually go into effect later this week. So first off, as you know, the controversial one was around Senate Bill 1, saying that the Kentucky Board of Education cannot impose mask mandates and makes the previously passed administrative regulation null, void, and unenforceable. However, that did not impact JCPS at all, because as you remember, sitting at this exact same table, the JCPS mask mandate was passed in late July, prior to any mask uh, mandate by the Kentucky Board of Education. So it will still be in place since our board approved it independent of the KBE regulation. So that particular provision did not impact us. And until this board makes a decision to remove masks, as mandatory universal and mandatory, it will remain in effect. 
Um, Senate Bill 1 talked about school plans. So school districts must submit to KDE, the COVID-19 school operation plan that is in place, the effective date of the legislation um, and any subsequent versions of it. So as you may remember, we passed our plan through you on July 27th. We submitted that plan that includes the new vaccine diagnostic testing requirement and also plan to work and test to stay in place. So as you give us more guidance on what you would like to implement, we will continue to change that plan, although we have already submitted a plan to the Kentucky Department of Education. Senate Bill 1 also talks about a, a test to stay option. So Senate Bill 1 says within 14 days of the effective date of the new law, the Kentucky Department of Health must develop a test to stay model school plan that may be implemented in whole or in part by districts to minimize the impact of quarantine. So it will, this model plan will provide guidance to us to implement an on-site testing option for non, this is very important, non-symptomatic students as an alternative to quarantine. It will give us guidance for contact tracing and quarantine based on masking, non-masking and vaccination. So I do wanna reiterate, there is a difference in quarantining between vaccinated and unvaccinated. The more we have vaccinated, the less have to quarantine if they are asymptomatic. That is a major issue with us. If we expect to stay in school, you know, the, the real threat to that is the amount of quarantining that has to take place. The more we vaccinate, the less we quarantine. Local health departments will, will support districts with this implementation. So we will continue to work on this test and stay and bring it back to you um, at a subsequent board meeting for your guidance on this. Okay, remote instruction. So um, the uh, Senate Bill 1, the General Assembly decided that they would have a separate type of instruction called remote instruction that is different than non-traditional instruction. So this gives the flexibility of a district to assign students at a school, grade, classroom, or even a student group to remote instruction due to significant absences, staff, students uh, due to COVID. So with prior board authorization, the decision to assign remote instruction goes to the superintendent. And that shall um, be no longer than what is necessary to alleviate student and staff absences due to COVID. So in short tonight, you'll see later, as in Senate Bill 1, we will be asking you making the recommendation to give me that authorization. The controversial part of the bill, or I'll say this, the bill, I, the part of this bill that I, couple things I disagree with, remote instruction limited to 20 days and cannot be assigned to the whole district. That is 20 days for the entire district. So right before our meeting today, Fayette County announced one elementary school because of uh, cases, contact tracing and quarantine would go to remote instruction for the rest of the week. They have now used three of their 20 days by the end of this week for one elementary school. They have nearly 40 some schools in their district. Three of their 20 are now done because of one school. I was in support of giving 20 days per school, uh, but that did not occur. The other part of this that concerns me, students assigned to remote instruction set shall receive the minimum daily instruction and required content standards, meaning students must be um, virtual with remote instruction for six hours a day. 
Um, so we know how hard that can be um, for a high school child, an elementary school child, a middle school child to have six hours a day in front of a computer screen with limited ability to have different types of instruction, differentiated instruction, where kids get to do things differently. So board member Marshall, I'm sure you could understand how hard it would be to keep the attention of a middle school child for six hours in front of a computer screen. Um, remote instruction days shall not count against student attendance, although the teacher will have to take student attendance um, and it will not count against our 10 NTI days. So this is going to be challenging. Once again, you know, when we have 155 schools, you know, we are working hard to obviously keep those open each and every day and do everything we can to support schools, you know, use people to get from central office to go support classrooms. But I'll say once again, every day we use for one school counts towards that 20. So Fayette County is now down to 17 of those days with 40 some other schools who haven't used them yet. I'll conclude my comments on that right there. Attendance. So this was one that we got that we were in support of. Districts may substitute 18, 19, 19, 20 for attendance data for 21, 22. So we will be using 18, 19 um, for seek calculations. Uh, that was the last full year. Obviously this year with the amount of contact tracing, quarantining, this would be a major impact on funding for districts all across the state. So that was very important for us. You can see a few other things about the current year data um, that is uh, required to use for various other things. So when using NTI, um, so this is another part of Senate Bill 1 that changed. We now, we still have 10 days of NTI. Um, my uh, hope was that those 20 days of remote instruction could be considered more days of NTI. Uh, but once again, NTI can only be used for the entire district. Um, that's, those are day, whether it's the day for the entire district to go to virtual learning where remote instruction can be targeted. But I wanted to make sure that we all knew uh, that certified staff designated by the district shall be required to perform their duties on site. So we will be required to bring, if we have NTI days, this bill requires our certified staff uh, to be in attendance on site in their classroom or their work location for NTI. Um, and that was uh, a new part of this bill. Next one, substitute teachers. Um, so the first bullet, you know, we're, we're evaluating right now. I have some concerns about it. I think it can be um, short term for us if we need it. Classified staff employed by the school district may perform classroom instructional activities without direct supervision of a certified staff member. For those of you that were on the board in 2017, when I was named acting superintendent, we had an OEA complaint against the district that we were using classified staff in uh, classroom instructional activities without the supervision of a certified staff member. We had to go through a corrective action plan early uh, in the year of the fall of 2017, we had EPSB and OEA come in and train every single one of our principals. We had to make major changes in our school that I think other districts did not have to do. And now the General Assembly is saying that's okay. So um, 
I have concerns about that particular bullet. We're going to evaluate that of how we can do that effectively. Obviously, most of our classified staff um, are in one of our five unions uh, that represent, so that will require discussions with them before we can do anything. There are some positive things about substitutes that are small uh, things, classified staff serving in that capacity. We can get them certification for substitute teachers, 64 hours of college credit, or four years of um, subject area experience. So if someone worked in a field um, for four years, we can get them a substitute certification. Home hospital instruction may be provided by a classified staff member. I have some concerns about that, obviously, as well, along with ensuring that we follow IDEA guidelines on certified instruction. So, you know, there are some possibilities with this, but I have some real concern as well. And also KSP and the Cabinet for Health and Family Services shall prioritize district applications for background checks. One thing that I have been advocating for for the better part of five or six months, well before we thought we were gonna be into this part of COVID with contact tracing and quarantining like we have now, was that with a teacher shortage across this state, that we have too many retired teachers all across this state that aren't able to work because they have a daily threshold or they have to give up their pension. Those same teachers could go across the river to Indiana and work full-time, or they could go to a parochial school and work full-time without giving up their pension. And I think during a crisis, a teacher shortage, it was important for us to say, our state to say, we're going to alleviate that for a certain period of time. And so this is a great opportunity for us where we took the, um, the critical shortage area, which um, I can declare, and went from 1%, which was only about 60 teachers in the district, to 10%. So now about 650 teachers. We can hire full-time, as I talked about in my superintendent report. <clears throat> Excuse me. This section does expire January 15th, uh, but obviously we will be pressing the General Assembly to continue that on for the remainder of the year, and pandemic funds or ESSER funds may be used um, for this. So this is a great opportunity for our schools. So I've encouraged our principals to begin contacting our retired teachers, anyone that was at their school. Great opportunity for us, I'll say it again, to fill a vacancy, get an experienced teacher in front of kids, Great opportunity for our retired teachers to make significant income for the year. The next one, instructional year, and this is another important one for us. Um, so the law right now says that students sh shall receive 1,062 instructional hours. So they withdrew the 170 student attendance days. We are well over the 1,062 instructional hours by about four days, four or five days. So this board would have the opportunity if we had to go out like a snow day, and it wouldn't be an NTI day that we could, you would have the option to essentially forgive that day or not have students make that up. Our only now indicator that we have to hit is 1,062 instructional hours by June 30th. This does offer, although very difficult for us, to add time to the instructional day. You can't exceed seven instructional hours per day by statute, and you cannot go on Saturdays 
Um, and I would assume not on Sundays. I don't think anyone would have appetite for that. Um, but I think that's important to know. I don't, it's, it, with our situation, obviously around transportation, making the day longer becomes very challenging for us. Another part of that, graduations may be scheduled before the last day of instruction, although classified and certified staff must complete their contractual days. So those are essentially the items on Senate Bill 1 that impact us. Like I said, there are a few things in there that are very impactful and positive for us. There are some things in there that are not helpful, and there are some things that I wish that would have been in there that are probably gonna to have to be addressed possibly even sooner than January 15th, which is additional NTI days. So our action items, JCPS action items um, that we will do and we are asking your approval for. First, JCPS will submit an updated COVID-19 school operations plan to KDE, and if approved, will include the new vaccine diagnostic testing requirement, and if approved by you, a plan to work on the test to stay proposal. Once again, the existing JCPS mask mandate stays in place until this board decides differently. Superintendents plan to fully utilize the flexibility in Senate Bill 1 to declare a critical shortage and hire a significant number of retirees, which I will be, um, I will be declaring a critical shortage, obviously for teachers, but it can be for classified staff as well as we work with their, uh, their retirement, CERS. We will continue to do that to try to bring back retired teachers as well. Next, JCPS is recommending a requirement for each employee to select if they will be vaccinated or participate in COVID testing no later than October 14th, 2021. The provisions of the proposed vaccine or testing requirements are JCPS employees shall be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 subject to the accommodation provisions of Title VII and the ADA. Employees who are not fully vaccinated shall undergo COVID-19 testing subject to Title VII and ADA accommodation provisions at a minimum of once every other week and no more than once a week. The district will provide free COVID testing and time to be tested with classroom coverage when necessary. Employees may choose to arrange their own testing through a licensed medical provider. An employee shall not be penalized if the district fails to provide free COVID-19 testing or necessary classroom coverage, compliance with this requirement is a condition of employment with JCPS. I will add to this that I believe we will continue to see um, requirements from the White House uh, for schools to be considered in employers over 100. That would then impact all public and private schools in states guided by OSHA guidelines which is the Commonwealth of Kentucky. We are one of 26 states um, that uh, go by OSHA guidelines. So if that comes from the president um, and the White House, then that's what it will be for all school districts in the state of Kentucky. Next, the superintendent also recommends that the board give him authorization to temporarily assign students to remote instruction in accordance with the provisions of Senate Bill 1. The temporary assignment to remote instruction shall be no longer than is necessary to alleviate student and staff absences due to COVID-19. May be provided to a particular school or schools, grades, classrooms, or groups of students. 
shall be up to, but no more than 20 days. I will reiterate once again, that is for the entire district. So each time any student goes into remote instruction, that counts as a day towards our 20 limit and shall provide students at least the minimum daily instruction required by law. So um, as you can see, these are the next steps in our uh, mitigation strategies in COVID-19. I'm proud that we continue to be on the cutting edge, especially in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, but even many of uh, larger districts around America and working to support our students and our staff. And obviously we will continue to look at other things that other um, ways that you would like to uh, prevent the spread, social distance and those type of things as we go into future board meetings. Thank you, and I'm happy to take any feedback or questions that you have. You are listening to Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS on Forward Radio 106.5 FM. This week we are playing excerpts from the September 14th, 2021 JCPS School Board Meeting. Please join us at the October 5th JCPS Board Meeting Tuesday night at 6 p.m. at Central High School. Thank you, Dr. Polio. Questions or comments from the board? Board Member Marshall. Thank you, Chair Porter. Uh, just some quick questions. Um, first, did we just say that for unvaccinated staff members, the requirement would be at least a test every other week? So our agreement right now with our part union partners, which all of the MOUs have been agreed upon and signed, say we would like to have it once a week, but we also understand that if a teacher's absent, um, or something happens where the testing does not show up, they wouldn't be penalized, so we put in that week. Now, if the Biden administration follows through with schools, we may have to bring that back to you and say it's every week, period. But we did want to give some leeway for things that can happen in a large district. Okay, so is there going to be a specific day that it is expected for those teachers to report their test, or how will we be? So there are... are so first of all, we have a data sharing agreement um, on the vaccine registry. So as soon as you approve it, we will be working with them to have a database of all employees that are vaccinated. We will make sure schools have that information um, so that you know we know what's happening there. And then we test in every single school once a week. So we go into schools and we will expand to bus compounds and other places necessary um, so every employee will have access to a test at their work site every single week. Okay. Other questions or comments? Board Member McIntosh? With regard to the test and stay, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around the logistics of this because I know that we are already short-staffed and our nurses are spread thin. So will we be able to provide the, just the manpower to accomplish this and i guess as a follow-up um since we're supposed to be working with the health department our local health departments are supposed to be helping to provide that plan will they also potentially um be able to provide us support with that because i'm looking at it kind of big picture community-wide the entire community benefits when the students are in school and staying on their regular um, schedule so would there be perhaps maybe some municipal support around that um so that's a great question and i can't say we have the test and stay plan um 
you know, we've talked about it and discussed most likely our, what are some options for us. We're going to need to wait to get guidance from the state public health department. Then we will immediately get with our local Metro health department to discuss our plan. I do not think that they have the manpower to necessarily support us in this. So what we are thinking about, which is difficult and challenging, we will not be able to have testing in every school every day. That's an impossibility for us. So we are considering the option of expanding our after school testing programs to every middle school and high school with our partner. And so therefore, if someone were have to quarantine, they could go to their closest middle or high school, get that test. The requirement is tested every day, unfortunately. They could get that test and bring that negative test with them to school. Um, there is a concern, obviously, if it's a close contact, that if they didn't get that negative test, they could be getting on the bus with a busload of students and not get that test till they get to school. So we are imagining at this point that it will have to be the day or night before and bring proof of negative test in order to do that. But I can't say that's exactly what we're going to bring to you yet. Kind of looking at the um, just the staffing issue in general, have we or have we considered utilizing any of our um, and I, forgive me if I use the improper titles, but um, our specialists, our resource teachers, are any of those folks that traditionally, um, you know, provide services and PDs and things like that, are they providing any services directly to students? Are we utilizing them for instructional purposes? Yeah, so that's a common question we get first and foremost. We we use them as um, providing instruction for quarantine students. So the amount of students that are in quarantine, but we also use a good number of them now to, um, that's why when we have a school that has a large number of absences for a day, we send them out into schools to do that. Um, so, you know, what I can tell you is some people don't realize this, but it truly is all hands on deck where everybody is out getting this done. Although some may not see it because there's 155 schools, but, um, you know, we have great resource teachers and specialists that are pitching into. Wonderful. I have a couple of questions about the retirees. Um, would they... Would they get any um, flexibility from EPSB on certification if perhaps their certification has expired um, because of time? Not, I'm not talking about anybody who's was you know revoked or suspended yeah. or anything like that. But if they've been retired for a couple of years, they probably haven't done those PDs to keep that certification current. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure I know the answer to that. I'd have to check with that. I will say one component I forgot. This waves the 90-day window that someone has to stay out, and now. It's only 30 days. So being that this is for every person that retired before August 1 of 2021, that 30 days has gone. So essentially any retiree now has the ability to do that. I'll have to get with EPSB and see well, what those are, but we can push hard to, to make sure that gets done. Will they um, qualify for the, the um, stipend payments. I know that they obviously wouldn't for the one that you said is just going out, but I think we have what is the late November, early December payment. Who was the, would the, retire the retirees? They yes. would, yes, for the next round of, of that. Um, and then my last one is, are we um, getting any district data now that we're about nearly six weeks or so in, are we starting to get any data for map testing or um, any of those non-academic indicators just to kind of give us a big picture 
idea of um, moving forward what our current needs are with our students. So map testing was challenging for schools. It was, you know, and I'll just tell you, we have put off nearly every requirement of schools. Map testing was one we did not. Suspension reduction plan was not. Those were the two um, that we really focused for on schools, but we have pushed everything else off when it comes to the normal compliance plans and things like that. I told principals that when we get out of this, I'll return to be a, being a pain in their rear end um, <laughs> with those type of things. But for right now, we're putting those off. But to answer your question, Matt finished last week. Um, and so schools plowed through and got it done. And so at a, one of our board meetings coming up, we will be giving you a quarterly vital signs report on the data that we have around non-academic indicators and those academic indicators. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Other questions, Board Member Craig? We're closing as many links in the, um, you know, the, as many weak links in the system as we can with respect to COVID exposure. We're closing off the staff link tonight. I remain concerned about the student uh, weak links. Um, our council tells us that we uh, are not legally able to implement a mandate for students, but there are some things we can do. We know, for example, for that students who participate in voluntary activities, such as a sport, um, a band, uh, cheer, dance, anything um, outside of the normal classroom instruction, um, it is within the legal authority of this board to uh, set uh, requirements for those activities. And I am interested in pursuing a requirement for all those students who participate in any activity that does not um, lend itself to masking uh, to be required to be vaccinated to participate um, or to provide like we're doing with our staff a negative test each week. Um, I'm especially interested in accomplishing that task um, before winter sports begins. Um, I think there's a weak link in the system with some of our indoor activities right now, such as volleyball. Um, that kind of slipped through the cracks as we opened up and we're focused on other activities as the school year began. Um, but before those practices begin, before conditionings begin, um, I'm very much interested in hearing from you whether or not you uh, agree with that proposal and then hearing from you whether or not we can logistically pull it off with the other challenges that this system is facing right now. Um, so I'm not asking for a comment or feedback tonight, uh, but I am asking you all to uh, include that in your discussions and to consider it uh, going forward and to report back um, perhaps the next meeting or whenever you can as to whether or not we can pull that off and win. Uh, yes, sir. So we'll, um, we'll begin. Um, you know, I, I do think it's, it's important that we explore that option, especially for indoor things as winter comes. Um, and so we will look to that logistically, maybe the one thing that we've got to make sure that we get, but I think we can do it once again, when it comes to testing, we provide it at every school once a week as it is now. Um, I know this, you know, when we talk about this, um, I'm vaccinated and I get tested every week. I got tested yesterday. Uh, it, it took all of three minutes for me to do that. And 12 minutes later, I got a test, a text with the results. Um, so, you know, I think it's important that we know uh, that our leaders are doing this too, vaccinated and getting tested on a weekly basis. Uh, but we will begin to explore those options. Thank you. Uh, same here, testing weekly, vaccinated, uh, also suffering the consequences of the pandemic that we're going through. My 
child went into quarantine today. That makes four of the five board members with JCPS students who have had children in quarantine. Dr. Called, knock on wood. Um, uh, we're all going through it and we have a way out of it. It is for everybody to get vaccinated. And for those who can't, we have a way to contain it. It is for testing. We need everybody to get on board if we're going to be able to operate this district as successfully as we have to for the balance of this school year. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Chris. Thank you. Um, we have roughly 16 weeks until uh, the end of January, which is about the soonest the legislature could give us more you know, time uh, than the, the 20 they provided. And um, so 16 weeks, we have a six weeks max with the 20 plus the 10 of NTI. Um, as we, you know, obviously I think we should grant you the authority to use those remote instruction days. But I am interested in hearing, you know, obviously we're a very different district than most of the districts that legislators come from. Um, and we can, within the law, use those remote learning days for very large groups of students. Um, so, you know, is there a thought of saving, you know, those NTI days, I'm sorry, those remote, remote learning days, even if one school might really need it, you know, saving it in case things get bad throughout the district and we have to go wider because as you said, Fayette County has already used 15%, you know, of those days. Um, so what's your, you know, what's your, how are you approaching those 20 days? Are you going to be reluctant to use them, you know, in, in for just one school or, or, you know, have you thought that far ahead? Yeah. Um, you know, so we are, I'll say this, and maybe I'm an alarmist on this. I am very concerned about the months to come. Yeah. Very concerned about the months to come. When winter months come, we have other illnesses. Um, school is tough in late October and November, January and February as it is. Mr. Marshall, I'm sure you know that. School is, it's tough. And Ms. McIntosh, you know that too. I mean, that, now we add on top of this, you know, a COVID pandemic that at that time will be dragging on for multiple months um, for this variant and what we're doing right now. So I'm really concerned about the winter months. Um, having said that, obviously, I don't see our focus being a one school to use remote learning instruction. Yeah. Um, you know, there are opportunities where we could almost use this every day right now. Right. So, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think we need to use these 20 remote learning instruction days for something as close to approximating full district NTI as we can uh, to leave ourselves maximum flexibility. And I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. You know, I think there are a lot of parents out there that if, if they knew or they do know that there are staffing shortages at their kids' schools, that they would gladly, you know, sub at their kids' school. They may not want to sub, you know, anywhere in the district. Is that a possibility, uh, you know, for that to happen? Is that too hard logistically to really keep track of? Or um, what do you think? No, I think, uh, Amy, I think that's a definite possibility. Yes. If they, they meet the requirements, yeah. they can say, I only want to sub at a, okay. pick up a job at a specific school. I mean, nearly, we have jobs available nearly at every right. school every day. Right. That's true. So, I mean, yeah. they could take those jobs. Is that correct, Amy? Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, What's the downside, do we think, of requiring staff vaccinations with no option of testing? 
Um, I would, be, um, from what we've seen from a couple of districts, uh, not locally, but nationally is um, more staff that we could lose um, for that. So I think that's the downside uh, that I think we would have staff that would resign before doing that. Before getting a vaccine? I think, think so, would? yes. I don't, I mean, I guess I'm, first of all, I mean, I, one week testing every week to me is not frequent enough. Two weeks is insane, frankly. Um, you know, you can, you can transmit COVID for at least 48 hours before you test positive. So, you know, that I, I worry that um, with giving a testing option that it, where there's such a gap in between testing that we're providing somewhat of a false sense of security um, for uh, the community to think that, you know, we've got a vaccine mandate in place where we sort of do. Um, but, you know, I, I think that what everyone hopes and expects a vaccine mandate to accomplish would not necessarily be accomplished in that case. So, um, so I, you know, I think we, we need to require testing, you know, more frequently, I would prefer that we not, not give people the testing option period and just require vaccinations. Um, yeah, I mean, we see so like, you know, that you mentioned the OSHA, but in the Biden plan that they just rolled out, the White House said they want governors to require vaccinations for teachers and school staff uh, without the option of testing. I don't think at this point, because of what's transpired in Frankfurt, that the governor has that authority in Kentucky anymore. I could be wrong. Um, so in the absence of the governor having that authority, I, I feel that it's incumbent on us to, to implement the Biden plan as they put it forward. Um, you know, they are requiring the small number, granted, but small number of federal education workers like Head Start, um, DOD schools, Bureau of Indian Affairs, you know, all those folks have to be vaccinated without the option of testing. Federal workers and contractors all have to be vaccinated without the option of testing. Major corporations like, you know, Tyson Food and United Airlines, their employees have to be vaccinated without the option of testing. So it it feels like to me we'd be shirking our duty a little bit if we allowed this, you know, out um, when you know so many other entities are are doing it, and the federal government is asking us you know, essentially uh, is asking us to do it uh, without the option of testing. So, uh, and to um, um, add on to what member Craig said, I fully agree that I think we need to require student athletes and those folks that are associated with those activities to be vaccinated. And, you know, I, I think so, you know, basketball practice, unless I'm mistaken, usually starts around mid-October, you know, our next meeting isn't until October 5th. So even if we passed it then, you know, kids would not be fully vaxxed until probably, you know, the end of November, given the time lag between vaxes. So that, that time frame, you know, strikes me as it could be too late. So I'd, I'd prefer we go ahead and, and, and do that tonight. But, um, but I think we should just keep it simple and require, require the vaccination without options uh, of testing. Thanks. And I will say this, that um, if approved tonight, that goes in October 14th, which we have another meeting October 5th. Uh, so you will have the opportunity to increase that testing um, or take other action before that time if that's what you choose to do. I have a few questions. Um, as we talk about the 
test to stay model and how we're going to implement that. How will that Im be impacted by the at home testing that is being uh, introduced from Washington, D.C., providing um, opportunities for families to buy the uh, at home testing kits? Is that something that we will end up doing in the schools or are we relying on the people that are te testing us now? Do we ha how will we make this happen? when in some cases we don't have enough folks testing in the schools. Can someone speak to that, please? Well, I'll start once again, I, I, and I'll say this. I, we can't say we know that plan yet. We've got to wait till we get guidance from our state and local health departments, which should be out in about the next week or so. Um, so the, the main part of that is I don't know, but um, I'll let Eva talk about, I don't know what you know about the at-home tests. But once again, we will we will provide tests after hours at every middle school, high school, and as many support places as we can find to add to that, uh, to offer it to families. But Eva, do you want to talk about the at-home testing? So the at-home tests are only, they're not in the guidelines as a recommendation to be utilized. Um, health departments can't contact trace or um, report at-home tests as positive unless they're verified by a health professional. So in the information that we've communicated to families, if they have an at-home test and they can connect with the school nurse, the school nurse can certainly observe them doing the test. The tests are very cost prohibitive. They're about $27. I think with the president's latest announcement, those, that cost will come down some, but there's still a barrier for families to get those. So the current guidelines don't recommend the use of at-home tests. Now those, that, those could change um, with the updates that are coming, but right now um, they're not a routine option. Okay, thank you. Um, as we talk about bringing teachers back, how does this impact administrators that may need to come back and help the schools when we have some of our administrators taking over uh, teaching opportunities when we don't, we don't have enough substitute teachers? So is this uh, set up strictly for teachers to come back or how will this impact any retired administrator that may choose to come back to help get us through this pandemic? So any retired certified person could come back in the role of teacher. Uh, so we employ administrators right now. I think it would hard for us to say there's a critical shortage of that. So I would highly recommend based upon this bill and what they can make financially that a retired administrator use their certification to come back as a teacher, keep their full pension and a full paying salaried teacher. Okay. And one more question about um, the vaccination, those that are to be paid $100 for the vaccination. Does that start back in the summer or does that start now? I'm sorry, I'm not sure about that one. Could you ask that again, please? I heard something, I thought I heard KDE say that they were gonna pay uh, oh, $100 per vaccination. So does that start with now or does that go back to the beginning of time when our teachers and staff members were vaccinated? Thank you for that question. I didn't follow you at first, but um, because it's important that I point this out. So KDE gave us some guidance today, more to come. Any of our employees who have been vaccinated will be eligible for that $100. So it's not only new up until December 1st. Uh, Dr. Glass, Commissioner, also asked boards today 
if they would be willing to match that $100. There have been, I believe, two boards in Kentucky that have done that. Um, so we could be bringing that to you. We needed more information and couldn't bring it tonight. We could be bringing that to you. Uh, just so for your purposes, that would mean every employee in JCPS is vaccinated, would get $100 from KDE and 100 from JCPS. I estimated today about if it's 12,000 employees that are fully vaccinated that we would be paying, it would be about $1.2 million. Um, so that is uh, an option that we'd ask you to think about. And I appreciate you asking that question because I did want to share that information today from the commissioner. But to circle back, yes, every current employee who has been vaccinated is eligible for that. Okay, thank you. Okay, at this time, is there a motion to receive a report on the new way forward, which is approving a revised JCPS COVID-19 school operations plan, employee requirements for vaccination and diagnostic testing, and authorize the superintendent to assign students to remote instruction? Is there a motion, please? Chair Porter, could I offer an amendment on the motion? Yes. I'd like to uh, amend the motion to say that uh, there is no testing option for uh, vaccination. We just, staff have to get vaccinated without the option of testing. Your motion is that instead of giving people the option of being vaccinated and are testing, you're saying that all people have to be vaccinated. Is that your motion? The motion is to require staff to be vaccinated without the option of testing in lieu of vaccination. Yes. So that's requiring all people to be vaccinated with no option. Yes, correct. Is there a second to that motion? Okay, at this time that motion dies because there's a lack to second. So I'd like to go back to what I just read that we were asking for the vote on. Is there a motion to receive this report on a new way forward? approved a revised JCPS school operations plan, the employee requirement for vaccination diagnostic testing, and authorize the superintendent to assign students to remote instruction. There was a motion by board member Craig, a second by board member McIntosh. All those in favor, would you please raise your hand? All those opposed? Okay, it was a 6-1 vote and board member Dr. Chris Cope is, is opposed. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS on Forward Radio 106.5 FM. I've been your host, Gay Adelman, and we will see you, hopefully, this coming Tuesday at 6 p.m. at Central High School for the next JCPS board meeting where the district's legislative agenda for the 2022 Kentucky General Assembly is one of the items that they will be discussing. Hope to see you there.